Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined by the one and only Eric Henry of Horns 24-7. And Eric, we are we are in an off week. We're still sort of picking up the pieces from the 34-30 loss to Oklahoma. It's not probably sitting very well with Longhorns fans, but we did have a chance to talk to Steve Sarkeesian on Monday. And Steve Sarkeesian um, came up with a priority list of things that he wants to get fixed. Uh, number one is getting healthy. Uh, number two is improving the red zone offense, which could probably be number one, number one, a number one B. Um, but I digress. Uh, also the two minute defense, which we saw on full display, uh, on OU's game winning touchdown drive where they ripped off chunk play after chunk play and, the corners were playing like 10 to 12 to 15 yards off the receivers and the return game. Steve Sarkeesian would like to see more explosive plays from the Texas return game. But his sort of closing message on Monday was everything we want is still in front of us. Um, you know, we are certainly capable of playing better football and achieving those goals. So with that in mind, um, we should probably start with players getting healthy because we added to the injury list in the OU game, Jake Majors. Um, the starting center goes down just a couple minutes into the game and Jalen Catalan goes down after playing eight snaps and, um, of course, there was no Ryan Watts and, you know, we're, we're waiting to find out. Uh, well, I reported on Monday that Cole Hudson will be back for the Houston game. That's good news because he's actually the backup center. And with Jake Majors likely to be out for at least a couple games, um, this is a significant development to get Cole Hudson back, Eric. But um I'll ask you, right, let's start with Jake Majors. How big of an impact do you think that Jake Majors going down uh, at the 1235 mark of the first quarter uh, played in in this game? Chip, it's interesting, right? Because when you take a look at Quinn Ewer's numbers, you say, well, once he got out of the you know first quarter and change where you, know, you had the, the ugly pick and a couple incompletions, he didn't look too bad. And you, then you go back and you, you take a dive into some of the deeper numbers. You can say, well, that's in large part because of Quinn and, and the receivers. Uh, the offensive line, it wasn't that they struggled, although Quinn Ewers, um, you know, was pressured throughout the game. It, where I think they struggled most, Chip, was the communication. And that is something that, listen, uh, you know, some people, Chip, think that, you know, center, I want to say, you know, the least valuable position, but the, the, some people kind of devalue the importance of a good center, a veteran center. I'm not one of those people. I, I guess maybe from my time covering the group of fives, Chip, I've seen what it's like when you stick a freshman in there at center and everything just goes to heck with, you know, you got veterans on, you know, each side, but you don't have that that mainstay. He's out there, you know, calling out the protections. That's that's a big thing, Chip. So 
Um, I do think that loss did play a factor in terms of just Quinn Ewers being pressured, despite the fact that he's able to have success throughout the second half. You know, those things matter. And I mean, we'll get into a little bit as you talked about with some of the red zone struggles, some of the goal line struggles, but you even got to ask yourself, you know, maybe in some of those plays under the goal line where Oklahoma as a linebacker shoots the gap, you know, yes, heck of a play by him, but maybe that's something that gets affected by being on what's essentially your third string center. So uh, if I were going to use the scale of one to 10 ship, I'd put that at a solid seven and a half near eight. Yeah. Yeah. It um, I think it definitely played a role down by the goal line. There was other factors going on there, but um, on, on the third down play, um, both Connor Robertson and Hayden Connor both kind of got blown up um, as Jonathan Brooks was trying to find the end zone. And um, that was all kind of a mess. We'll get into that. But um, Jalen Catalan only playing eight snaps in a game where the quarterback ended up running profusely. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, 113 yards rushing, and you'd love to have a Jalen Catalan uh, lowering the boom on the quarterback um, legally, of course, but um, just the threat of Jalen Catalan being able to deliver those kind of of hits. We've seen him kind of get it going here the last couple of weeks, and then boom, he's out. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you missed Ryan Watts in this game for sure. Uh, because in that last drive from Oklahoma where they're ripping off 11 yards, 28 yards, 17 yards, um, you'd love to have that veteran experience uh, at corner. And I don't know if the coaches were telling the corners to play off 10, 12 yards. Malik Muhammad was was 12 yards off, you know, Jaleel Farouk. That's that's a lot of cushion. That's a mattress. That's not a cushion. Um, and so, you know, you're kind of wondering, okay, what's going on here? But, um, you know, look, it's football. You're a deep team. You're, you're, you talk about the depth that you have and how much you like the depth and talent that you have. So there are no excuses, but, um, getting healthy is, is certainly a priority. This, the number two, uh, priority on that list is the red zone offense. And Eric, this to me is sort of the um, just the head scratcher uh, first and goal uh, early for fourth quarter games on the line chance to tie the game at 27 um, after that great play by, you know, Jordan Whittington, the catch and run for 28 yards down to the one um, you can't, punch it in and some of the head scratching is the the play design and we hadn't seen Tavondre Sweat as part of this super jumbo package we'd seen Byron Murphy um, and so it, this was a new wrinkle but you're wondering is this a necessary wrinkle like if you're going to have those guys out there on the field why don't you just have them push the quarterback into the end zone I mean use all that weight, use that 600 pounds to your advantage instead of having them, you know, trying to deliver blocks. They don't, they don't work like that. They, that's not, that's not what they practice all day long. Um, you know, and their defensive roles on this team, it just seemed like, especially where they're, they run a toss sweep to the right and Tavondre Sweat has to kind of hook the, the defensive end 
and that play was a disaster from the beginning, but it just seemed like we're, we're overthinking it here and, you know, let your, you know, let the nation's number three rusher run. I don't know, inside zone, outside zone, or how about a bootleg option uh, for, for Quinn Ewers where we know he can run a little bit, give him a run pass option because when you squeeze all 11 together, you just allow Oklahoma to do the same thing defensively. And, and now you're really in a fight in a phone booth. So I just want to get your thoughts on that. Cause it just, none of that seemed uh, exceptionally well thought out. Steve Sarkeesian said, and I, can't remember if it was you who asked him or not, Chip. Um, no, no, because I think you asked him about position groups. So I apologize. But the way he spoke about it on Monday in terms of not necessarily having regrets on, on using that heavy package, saying that, hey, we practice it. We, yeah, I think the exact quote from Steve was, we've had a lot of success over the past few years in our goal line package, right? Now, he was speaking in generalities. So I don't know. And Chip, I'll defer to you because you've covered this team certainly longer than I have, uh, entirety of Steve Sarkeesian's tenure, whether or not that is a package that indeed he has used in the past. Uh, I want to pause there to give you a chance to. Yeah, not not with Tavondre Sweat also on the field, not with both of the defensive tackles on the field. Right, right. We know we've seen it with Byron Murphy, not with Tavondre Sweat. Chip, you and I are journalists by nature, right? You know, we have a lot of the skills of, of journalists. If someone asks us tomorrow to go out and be photojournalists, uh, you know, we know how to use a camera. We know that we have the, the natural instincts of, of what journalists are, but if it it's not what we do daily, it doesn't come natural to us. It's going to be like a feeling out process. Yes, we can do it, but it's not what comes natural to us. I have no doubt that they practice that formation, that package. If, and this is just my opinion, if we're going to go heavy, why not go heavy with extra offensive linemen, a Malik Agbo, who at least is out there in those type of heavy situations, who they train every day to be blockers. Again, I'm not discounting the fact that they may have worked on that package. It's one thing to work on it in practice ship. It's one thing for us to, to write an article, you know, when, when, when you know, you're not uh, under a deadline, right? It's another thing to try to do it for the first time, you know, in a big time game situation. I'm sure someone there is, is laughing at me, analogizing uh, our struggles as writers to, to this. But I think the point remains, right? Essentially, you're taking someone who it's not their natural instinct and then asking them to do that. That, to me, is something that I think is worth questioning. The second part of it, Chip, I wrote extensively in the offseason, and we've talked about it on this podcast, about Texas's goal line and short yardage struggles. So for those of you who may be new to this and maybe haven't had a chance to Check out the article. I'll kind of give a summarization. So there is an advanced statistic called uh, power success rate, right? What that is, is third downs and fourth downs with less with, with two yards or less to go. You're, how much success are you having when you're on those downs, right? And, and the, the, the statistic is specifically talking about runs. But when charting this, you have to, to you know, include passes as well, Chip, because Steve Sarkeesian, if you even go back to last year, Roughly 35 to 40 percent of the time in those situations, he's passed. So it hasn't been an automatic run situation. Right. Does that have something to do with the confidence in his in his team as far as they're going to run and pick up those yardage? I don't know. I, I also would 
maybe give Steve Sarkeesian some leeway, leeway in the fact that he's very aggressive on fourth downs. So maybe some of the decision to pass on, on those downs is the fact that it's a poor down situation, Chip. Nevertheless, regardless of how much you want to couch it or rationalize it, the Longhorns have been bad. And it's not just this year. It dates back to last year, but I'll give you the numbers for this year, Chip. 13 times on third down, they have had two yards or less to go. They have picked up the, four, picked up the third down four out of those 13 times. It's 30%. 10 times they've chosen to run, three times they've chosen to pass. Uh, they are three for seven on fourth downs in those situations. So still not even over 50% when they are going for it on fourth downs. Regardless of whether you want to debate whether or not they should run or pass in those situations, what the fact of the matter is they haven't been effective. And Chip, I said it to you, I, I may have been in the press box earlier this year or maybe on this podcast. I've long felt when I looked at that number, and I know Steve Sarkeesian had his, his quip about statistics, right? He said an old friend told him that statistics are like something. Once you get them, you can make anything of them. Sure, there's there's merit to that, right? You know, you, you advanced analytics, you can make anything of it. However, he's not saying that anymore. Right, right. And, and Chip, this is very specific. I know I said it to you. There's going to be one or two times in this season. Everyone in the stadium knows you got to run the football to pick up one yard or two yards. Can you get it done? Texas failed their first test. Yeah, this was, and this will go down in history. I mean, Texas fans will remember the Stony Clark uh, stoning of James Allen in 1994. Robert Reed turned him back inside, and um, it was an unbelievable play. Everyone, you know, remembers Stony Clark for the play. Uh, OU fans are going to remember remember this goal line stand, especially depending on the outcome of the season, um, because look. First and goal from the one, and you don't get any points. That is, you know, that's our guys are tougher than your guys. We're better coached, whatever it is. But that's, that's talk, you know, talk about appealing to your ego or, you know, just haha, we, you know, we kept you from getting the most important touchdown of the season. Um, it, it stings. It's, it's humiliating. And, um, uh, the lead of my story on, on Saturday was if you can't make, you know, if you can't find the end zone with first and goal, um, from the one, you don't deserve to win an undefeated showdown like this. And, um, look, there was a lot to like in this game from Texas. We, we mentioned it, you know, when yours 300 yards three almost 350 passing you know he completed 26 of his last 28 passes including 19 straight overcoming three turnovers texas had the lead you know with a minute 17 left and you know jonathan brooks ran for 100 yards there were two 100 yard receivers gunner helm had a big day uh keaton crawford with the punt block uh, Jordan Whittington with the fake punt for 20 yards kind of got uh, some of the momentum stopped for OU uh, early in the game, but everyone's going to remember that that failed um, first and goal from the one. So it, um, you know, there's no question. This is now at DEFCOM one for, for Steve Sarkeesian in terms of you can't be 
just unbelievable between the twenties and then get into the red zone. And it, it turns into a Sudoku puzzle, not with the talent that they have. And as you said, you know, they did have Malik Agbo on the field. He was right outside of star left tackle Kelvin Banks to the wide side of the field. Why not run it, whatever you're running to that side? Um, hell, use Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy as a decoy. Get the defense flowing one way and take your chances with um, Kelvin Banks and Malik Agbo and Jonathan Brooks making a guy miss. Um, that would have been that would have been something. But what did you yeah. make? Sorry, not to cut you. That's why I got to get your thought on this. What did you make of Sark? And listen, we'll get to some of the positives because, again, we don't want to still harp on the negatives. But what did you make of Steve Sarkeesian say that he actually came back to the first down call on third down? Does that even resonate with even more that he truly had a steadfast belief in, in that call? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he felt so good about the way it looked in practice and the fact that he's got these, you know, two behemoths out there who are unbelievable players, are having great seasons on the defensive end, on the defensive side of the ball, but they're not fullbacks. Um, unless you're just asking them to be the lead blocker through the hole and hit the first other color Jersey that you see, but you run a toss sweep and you're asking, you know, Tavondre sweat to, and you're pulling DJ Campbell on that play. There's a lot of traffic going on there. And DJ, he just kind of lot, he ended up five yards in the backfield. He's supposed to be pulling. It just, um, you know, that, that was the toss sweep, but for him to come back to the, um, the first down play on third down, you know, he said he was being stubborn. Um, I would have had plan a plan B plan C. And, and then of course, Sark said he, if he could do it over again, he would have brought his regular offense back on the field, thrown the quick slant or those green to, Xavier Worthy on third down and then come up with another play on fourth down. Um, look, I'm not, I don't want to pile on here because no one feels worse about this than Steve Sarkeesian, but it's just got to get fixed. I mean, if there is ever been a situation that you have a bye week to fix something, this is it. I mean, they have got to, I don't know if they need to do some quick study of other, you know, other teams' best red zone plays, or do you put Savion Red in, who's, I think he's three for three. He's had two fourth and ones and a third and one. He's executed every time. Um, I mean, you've got to fix it. And I just, uh, I felt like things got too cute there. And, um, you know, kudos to Oklahoma. They, they, played unbelievably on those four plays. They made outstanding plays. Kip Lewis shooting the gap to, to get into Jonathan Brooks' legs. Um, and Billy Bowman with the incredible hit on Worthy to keep him an inch shy of the goal line. I mean, great play by Oklahoma. But if that play, if those, if that sequence of plays comes back to haunt Texas, if there's some worst case scenario where West Virginia somehow ends up in the Big 12 title game, or if, um, you know, Texas, uh, say they win the Big 12 title game as a one loss team, but get left out because there's, an, you know, undefeated Pac 12, undefeated Big 10, and 
Georgia, Alabama, whatever. So they somehow get left out of the playoff because of that. I mean, that's going to really, that's just going to, it's going to leave everyone with a, an empty feeling about this season because there's been so much good. And that game was in hand. I mean, let's move on to the, to the two minute defense, because that's the next thing on the priority list. And that leads us to the, the final sequence in this game. Um, You know, you get the field goal with a minute 17 left and you've, you've got to hold them to a field goal because you're up, you're up 30, 27 and it's one chunk play after the other. And there's a lot of soft coverage being played. And I just don't, I, I, I think you're taking your guys out of their normal thought process when you're telling them to back off 10 yards, Eric. I mean, look, you've got guys who are not afraid to play man coverage. Malik Muhammad's not afraid to play man coverage. He's 12 yards off the line against Jaleel Farouk, who's on fire in this game. And, and, you know, Drake Stoops ends up being the guy on two of those plays, but the bottom line is some soft coverage there and, and OU just chops them up. Uh, They get to the Texas 20 in three plays and then we had the pass interference, but they were already in field goal range at that point. So that, uh, you know, your thoughts on that. Chip, I, my thoughts are kind of twofold on that. Um, one, I'm actually going to going to take the counter here, and I'm not just doing it for the sake of the podcast. I, I don't necessarily have an issue with the DBs playing off, given how – much of a strength the deep ball is of Dylan Gabriel and the fact that they do have some guys who could get behind the defense. I understand them saying, Hey, you know, we want to force them to keep everything underneath where I think that's a little bit short-sighted is it really discounts the fact that Dylan Gabriel is such a precise pass. He's a guy who, if you give him that much cushion, he's not going to miss, right? We've seen other quarterbacks who, all right, you know, you, you give him that type of cushion and, you know, the throw might be a little bit off here, a little bit off there. Maybe it forces the, the receiver to catch it. And they got to remain in bounds. No, Dylan Gabriel is such a precise passer. If you're giving him that, then you're basically like giving away, you know, the first down plus some. The second part of it, and this is kind of, again, where I, I, I'm phrasing to inform a question, Chip. Uh, did you happen to catch uh, former Longhorn? Emmanuel Lacho gave a, a quick breakdown of that final sequence of Rebenda. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll for you and, and for you know, our audience who hasn't seen it, uh, Acho basically talked about Derek Williams Jr., who was in the game and possibly may have been in the game because of the fact that Jalen Catalan got banged up. You don't know. Texas has played a lot of safeties this year. But on that final play, talked about Derek Williams Jr. traveling with Nick Anderson, who, of course, went in motion on that play, right? Acho said that he, and of course, he did couch it by saying he's not there on the field, but this is what his experience and eyes told him, was that he needed to communicate to the rest of the defense, whether that's David Benda or, you know, just that entire side of the defense. Hey, you got my man, right? Because now I'm coming off and now I'm in the hole, right? I'm, I'm here. That man has traveled. I do wonder how much of the fact that, how much of a factor that played. Of course, you got uh, the great sound from David Benda who took, you know, prime accountability and you expect nothing more. Any of us who've had a chance to, to interact with David, he's one of the most stand-up guys. He took uh, accountability for it. 
But I do wonder, Chip, if, if just some of that is, you know, being in the moment. Again, I'm, I'm sorry for springing on you. You haven't had a chance to watch it. So I, I almost feel unfair asking you to opine on something you haven't seen. But you do wonder in that sense, Chip, if maybe, you know, you have a more of a veteran in there. Uh, we've, Chip, when we were out there at fall practice, one of the loudest voices you heard was Jalen Catalan, right? So you know that guy ain't shy to communicate. Maybe, just maybe, that played a factor in that final play. But those are just kind of my thoughts on, on the two-minute overall. Yeah, I mean, it um, It was, uh, you know, there was a lot going on and Dylan Gabriel had just run the play before. And I think David Benda kind of got, you know, he was kind of looking uh, into the backfield and instead of, you know, um, going with Nick Anderson. And there's no question there was a lack of communication. David Benda said that. Um, but it, it, yeah. So whether it was the fact that they didn't have their most experienced guys on the field, uh, Jalen Catalan, um, Ryan Watts, it, you know, it, it's, it's up for debate, but it was, and they actually got their best pressure on Dylan Gabriel on that play. You almost saw Gabriel kind of duck like he was getting ready to be sacked and then he realized oh I can't do that I don't have time for that and he just rose up and he threw it to where Nick Anderson was supposed to be and he was right there and it was touchdown um and that that you know my other question about you know you can either play off coverage or try and keep everything in front of you or you can sell out blitz uh, maybe on that very first play from the 25 from the OU 25 you gamble that one time and bring the house and see if you can get there. And obviously that, you know, that takes a real uh, firm belief in, in what you've got out there, but um, you know, guys were getting tired. I mean, you had Jalen Ford and everyone's like, Oh, Jalen Ford, man, he played a terrible game. He played all 81 snaps and he was kind of the guy trying to keep an eye on Dylan Gabriel. And I'm not sure that that was, um, you know, I don't know what the, the spy plan or if that was just sort of, you know, I don't know what that was, but um, Jalen Ford even said in the post-game press conference, I think I played every snap. Yeah, he, he did. Um, and I get it was 72 degrees or whatever, but Oklahoma's an up-tempo team. They're, they're trying to wear you out and they're trying to keep you from subbing and they were able to keep Texas from subbing. So, um, you know, great, great uh, coaching by Oklahoma and Texas got caught in, in a couple of tight situations and, and now they got to learn from it and without any margin for error. So um, the two minute defense, you know, it, it's tough to see, you know, Dylan Gabriel go four of four and it's 11, 28, 17 um, because it took them what seemed like five seconds to get down to the Texas 20 yard line. Um, and then the pass interference call hurt because that moved him from the 20 to the six and Terrence Brooks gets flagged for you know, basically running um, the receiver out of bounds, too much contact after five yards. I don't know what your 
thought process was on that, but it wasn't necessary, you know, just run, just run with them. It was kind of like the pass interference that Brooks got in the Wyoming games. Like you didn't need to extend your arm. You were right there. You were right in position and they're going to call that if, if, you know, if, if that's what's going on. So, you know, tough, tough sequence for sure. Absolutely, Chip. And, you know, I, I know we're going to get into a little bit of this and, and take it or leave it. But I want to come back to the point you made about Jalen Ford playing all 81 snaps. Again, I, I won't go too deep into it because we're going to come back to it. But, Chip, do you think, and I'm asking you this just based on, you know, what you saw of Dylan Gabriel on Saturday and, and maybe, you know, prior to that, do you think that hindsight being 2020? maybe some members of the Texas defense were caught a little bit off guard. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean they hadn't played against the guy before, right? You, you got to play against someone to get a, a feel of who they are as a player. Caught a little bit off guard by Dylan Gabriel's elusiveness and rushing ability. Uh, you know, For sure. I, I, I went back, Chip, and, and you know, posted on a uh, story on Horns 24-7, some of the conversation entering the week about Dylan Gabriel and then hearing some of the conversation post-game. Right. And I even spoke with Florida national head coach Mike McIntyre, who talked about, hey, you know, I played against a guy in a 54-9 shootout. We knew about him as a passer. He threw for 601 yards against McIntyre's defense. But he ended it by emphasizing, he said, Eric, that guy is a lot more elusive than people realize. And that's the thing that you can't realize until you play against him. So it does sound like you do agree that maybe there's, you know, a little bit of that at play here. Yeah. I mean, the most he'd run for in a game this season was 37 yards. Um, you know, if you just looked at the numbers, uh, in the film of what you'd seen so far this season, we hadn't seen that. And so, you know, kudos to Dylan Gabriel because he was, he was the difference. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, if you, if you take away his rushing yards, Texas held the backs to three yards per carry. It was Dylan Gabriel and his legs that proved to be the difference in the ball game. So um, either extending plays, I mean, the, the pass that he, the 28 yarder to stoops, Gabriel gets flushed. He steps up, <clears throat> excuse me. He looks like he's going to run. So Ford comes up bloop right over his head to Drake stoops who takes it 28 yards. And so, you know, that's what Vince young used to do to people, you know, he'd be back there uh, to pass. And then, pressured come in and he'd step up like he's still, you know, looking to, to throw, but the defender has, he's in conflict. He's got to make a decision. And if Vince looks like he's going to run, they come up, he just throws it over their head. And that's, that's kind of indefensible. Um, and that's why Steve Sarkeesian was talking about maintaining integrity in the rush lanes so that you, you, capture him in the pocket and Texas really struggled with that on Saturday. And um, I think they were taken by surprise at Dylan Gabriel's ability to, you know, evade pressure and, you know, make yards with his legs, 113 of them. And, and so I think everyone's aware of it now and, because Dylan Gabriel did it on the biggest stage you can do it on. And, you know, if Texas plays Oklahoma again, there's going to be some changes to the, to the defensive game plan for sure. There should be. 
Um, Eric, the last thing on the on the priority list is the return game uh, and trying to get some more explosive plays out of the return game. I mean, obviously the punt block for a touchdown was huge. Keaton Crawford uh, with an unbelievable effort to to split defenders, con- contort his body, get his arm extended to block that punt. Malik Muhammad with the recovery was the first punt block of the season, the eighth in the last three seasons, most in FBS. And, and so there was a big play there. You had Jordan Winnington with the, the fake punt execution, which worked. You had Burt Auburn uh, with three of three field goals and Burt Auburn. I mean, was everyone holding their breath on the 47 yarder with 117 left kudos to Burt Auburn. That thing was right down the middle and, that poor guy, he can't, he can't, I mean, he's kicked some big time kicks at the end of games against Alabama last year, against Texas Tech last year, and now Oklahoma, he kicked, these are 47, 48, and 49 yarders that should have factored into a win, and none of them factored into a win. That poor guy, he can't, uh, he can't, uh, catch a break. So, I mean, there were some, there was a lot to like on special teams, but I think Steve Sarkeesian feels like with, with the explosive returners we have um, that we should be getting more out of the kick return game with Keelan Robinson and the punt return game with, with Xavier worthy. Chip, I'll, you know, in terms of the punt return game, and again, I did not chart it. I have not actually gone back post Steve Sarkeesian's comments to chart it. So I'm just going based off a of recollection. It feels to me like the opportunities that have been there in the punt return game, X has made something when there's been there. We've seen a few times this year where he's had a couple near misses, like he's, he's almost broken one. I do think, and listen, I don't know if maybe Sark was talking about, you know, some of the, the, return concepts and specificity, or maybe he was talking about literally just getting more out of the return game. But I, I didn't see too much there in terms of punt returns. That, that's just me. You know, I think teams are making a concerted effort. They're not just going to give Xavier Worthy chances. The kick return game, I do think is a different story. I do think there may have been some more opportunities and especially concerning the fact that, you know, listen, the, the more you can get out of your return game, that's just going to help your offense as a whole. Yes, you do see a lot of college kickers now who are booting that thing to the back of the end zone, but there have been tries. Again, I haven't charted it, but I do think Texas has had a fair amount of tries in, in, in the kick return game, and I, and I don't think that it's a matter of switching up the returner. I think Keelan Robinson is excellent in, in that role. So uh, I, I do think there's merit to that one. But as far as the punt return game, I, I think that's pretty solid, and I'm glad you shout out Bert Auburn because what a bounce-back game for him. We, we talked about the fact that, you know, kickers, it's a confidence thing, right? You know, once you lose it, you can't really get that back. So great to see him get back on the horse, go three for three. And yeah, it's it's tough because when he has such a great game, you know, it, it, I'm sure it would do even more for his confidence if that is like, hey, my 47-yard resulted in a win versus, all right, it's just, you know, another kick, right? It doesn't quite get the recognition it deserves. But good to see Burt Auburn get back on 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 the, you know, on the horse. And I think Ryan Sanborn's done a, a solid job as as well. So uh, overall special teams for me, it maybe you know, I don't share the same concern, but I do think in, in the kick return game, there is something there because of course you just want to set your offense up in, in as best a field position as possible with the opportunities that they do have uh, with kick returns. Yeah. I mean, Worthy's had a 42 yard punt return, a 30 yard punt return. He's set up the offense and 
in scoring position with with some of his returns uh, earlier this season. Um, and, you know, look, again, there was a lot of positive in this. Anthony Hill had a had a nice game and, you know, he's a guy who probably needs more. I mean, in this game, he had 41 snaps and David Benda had 39 and could could they have moved Benda to middle and Anthony Hill to weak side linebacker, given Jalen Ford a little rest here and there? Do they trust Anthony Hill enough yet? Because all I know as I saw him pick up Tawi Walker and body slam him like Tawi Walker was running full speed. Anthony Hill grabbed and picked him up and threw him down. And Anthony Hill got the only sack in this game. He had a, a one and a half tackles for loss, a pass breakup. I mean, the guy's everywhere and he does everything full speed. And, you know, obviously he had a, he had a, a bad run fit against Wyoming. It cost him a 62 yard touchdown run, but he's, he's a playmaker period. So if he's, if he's showing enough to, to be on the field for 41 snaps, maybe he deserves a little bit more because he's a star. I mean, he is absolutely a star. So, um, and he was returning home in this game. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, there were, there was a lot of good stuff going on in that field. And, um, you know, even the hit by Billy Bowman on Jatavian Sanders, those are two former teammates at Denton Ryan. And, uh, and, you know, that, there was a lot of – and that that interception didn't really come back to haunt Texas because they ended up holding, and that's that was the sequence where they blocked the punt and recovered it for a touchdown. So um, the first interception by Quinn Ewers hurt. That one led to a, a nine-yard touchdown run on a QB draw from Dylan Gabriel, kind of set the tone for the day, actually. But, um, yeah, lot a lot of good, but um, – Texas comes out with uh, uh, you know a crushing 34-30 loss in this one, and now they've got to they got to take care of business with no margin for error, and um, just make sure that they're the other team in the Big Twelve title game. Um, and someone needs to to beat up on Neil Brown's West Virginia Mountaineers. All right, um, let's uh, let's grab a quick break. We'll come back and get into take it or leave it. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on. So, Eric, uh, take it or leave it, number one. You have a problem with Jade Barron and Jalen Ford playing every defensive snap against an up-tempo OU offense. Take it or leave it. This one was really tough for me, Chip. I I am going to leave it. Um, I... I don't have as much of an issue with Jade playing because he's so crucial out there. I mean, we saw him early on. I believe he led the led the the, the game with eleven tackles or led the team with eleven tackles. I think Danny Sussman may have had more in the game. Um, trying to recall from memory, but uh, we see Jade's impact immediately. He's a guy who, whether it's coming up in run support or you know cutting down those those quick little bubble screens that teams want to throw. I just think in a game like that, yeah. He, and, and Jade said, has said it, you know, he's like, I, I think I'm conditioned enough to play all, all the snaps out there. So that one I don't have an issue with. Uh, if, if there was one that I think you could question, 
I think maybe find a way to rotate Jalen out a bit. But with that being said, Chip, I do wonder, as I said earlier, maybe hindsight being 2020, there's some underestimating Dylan Gabriel's elusiveness. Maybe the game plan wasn't, you know, hey, Jalen's going to be able to build go all 81 snaps because he's not going to be chasing some guy around for four quarters, right? He's, he's going to spend some time in coverage. Maybe that's just the game plan. So at the end of the day, I'm going to leave it. But if there's one I had to question a bit, it, it would be Jalen. And, and even that one maybe is a, is a hindsight 2020 chip. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to take this as it pertains to Jalen Ford. Just because of the way the game was unfolding and the fact that Dylan Gabriel was, you know, getting out and causing problems with his legs and that became evident by halftime, I would have looked to get Anthony Hill and David Benda on the field together and give Jalen Ford a, a breather here or there, because I think Anthony Hill's the kind of guy and Steve Sarkeesian has said this, he's fast enough that he can erase mistakes. Um, he's certainly fast enough to, you know, chase after Dylan Gabriel if necessary. And, and so I'm going to take this as it pertains to Jalen Ford in part because that up-tempo offense, it's one thing if they're, if they're taking their time, you know, kind of working the clock, but OU is trying to go up-tempo. They're trying to snap it every 15 seconds. They're trying to catch you and tire you out. And from that standpoint, uh, it doesn't really matter what the temperature is because if you're gassed, you're gassed. And I would have I would have worked to get – uh, David Ben has played plenty of middle linebacker. Um, I would have worked to to have Benda and Anthony Hill on the field a little bit more in this game. Not a lot, but a little bit just to give Ford a breather here and there. Um, all right. Take it or leave it. Number two. Take it or leave it. Number two, Chip. The best position group for the Horns midway through the year has been running back. Take it or leave it. I mean... I think I got to take this. I got to take this. Um, you know, Eric, when you look at Jonathan Brooks, my gosh, I mean, reminds me of Priest Holmes, who, you know, was just a decisive one cut runner who got his pads, you know, square to where he was going um, and just great contact balance and runs angry, you know, and Jonathan Brooks, i Felt like, you know, based on what we'd seen from him in high school and the fact that every time he got on the field at Texas and was averaging, you know, seven yards of carry as a backup to Bijan and uh, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, that he was going to be the thousand yard rusher on this team. And he is now the nation's number two rusher in FBS. So um, big time, you know, it's really the best position group, best player on the offense is Jonathan Brooks. Um, what about you? How about this, Chip? I'm going to leave it. Okay. And it's no slight on Jonathan Brooks who's had an outstanding year. Uh, the question was position group. I want to emphasize group. I'm going to go with the receivers. I think Xavier Worthy is very quietly, and I wrote about this yesterday, having one of the best seasons of his Texas career and he's just doing it in such an efficient way. Steve Sarkeesian talked about it Monday. The fact that last year, 
for him to have eight, nine catches, we'd have to throw him 15, 16, 17 passes. Chip Ivan, you know, went back and crunched numbers. I think it was the 2021 contest against Kansas where he had 13 catches on like 26 <laughs> targets. You know, um, last year, X out of the 113 targets, he caught 52% of them. That's, that's, yeah, you know, you got the old, you know, Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson factor, right? Just throw that guy the ball, but that's not efficient for the offense. I think X's play coupled with A.D. Mitchell, who's been as good as advertised, in my opinion. And, of course, the reliable Jordan Whittington. When it comes to a group, and you can't forget about Jonte Cook as well, who every time he's on the field, he's making an impact. So for group, I'm going to go with the receivers, C.B. Yeah, and it was good to see Jordan Whittington have a breakout game where they were clearly targeting him and and then him deliver because it it seems like there have been plenty of times where Jordan Whittington was was there open um in fact if if I had my say I probably would have flipped Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy down at the goal line and and had Jordan Whittington run that slant because he's the bigger guy and might have been able to bully his way in um and then if that didn't work, I don't know, flip it and try worthy. But, uh, you know, that was that was the only thing is that when they got down to the goal line, I thought Savior started his, uh, you know, he, he kind of tried to get low, but he tried to get low from about the three. He needed one more step to launch himself forward. And I think Jordan Winnington would have done that. But I I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, the Texas receivers have been, they have taken turns um, just making life miserable for opposing defenses. All right, take it or leave it. Number three, if Texas and OU meet again, you like Texas's chances of winning. Take it or leave it. This was a tough one for me, Chip, because I, I do think there's a, a measure of underestimating Oklahoma. Um, even, you know, we talked about the teams they played prior to Texas. I think they showed that they're a darn good football team. And I made this point to you on Sunday in all of your time covering this great rivalry that you had to look at the way that that team lost last year in New in No they were going to come out punching. They, they couldn't necessarily predict the win, but it was not going to be easy. And I think given the measure of confidence that they had, and also Dylan Gabriel, who, again, I've seen plenty from my time at UCF, is a really good quarterback. I was torn. At the end of the day, you got to take a look, Chip, for me. Here's the positive. Texas played – Another subpar game. I don't want to call it its worst game of the year, but another subpar game, right? Another, uh, uh, or I should say another subpar, but another game chip where they they got to a slow start, had some miscues, and yet they still had a chance to win that ball game. If, and hopefully for Longhorns fans' sake, when this team can clean up some of those things, start fast, finish fast, have a game like Baylor, except against you know a team that's playing a little bit better and carry that in to a Big 12 title game, I think it's going to be hard to beat Texas twice. So I'm taking it. I do like Texas' chances winning, Chip. What about you? Yeah, I I think it's hard to beat a team 
twice. And now Texas knows what they're up against. And I think um, this is always going to be a line of scrimmage game. It's always going to be between Texas and Oklahoma. And I thought, um, you know, there were times where Texas was able to exert itself on the offensive and defensive lines, but it wasn't enough. And I do think that Jake Major is not playing in this game and Cole Hudson not being available for this game. And I'm not saying Connor Robertson played poorly, but the communication um, is enormous and identifying, um, you know, protections, uh, helping the quarterback with that. That's, that's big time. And also defensively not having some of their experienced guys like Ryan Watts and Jalen Catalan uh, in the back end of the defense on a day where Dylan Gabriel was um, just on his game and, and now being aware of Dylan Gabriel's legs there's no doubt that um, I think the the defensive game plan changes. That's not to say that this is, I mean, it could be the same kind of thriller um, if they meet up again in Arlington, but I will, I will give the benefit of the doubt to the better team. And I, I do think that Texas is the better team. I don't, I think they got out coached and and Dylan Gabriel outplayed Quinn Ewers on a day where Quinn Ewers was amazing. I mean, you know, but that first turnover was a killer and it, it turned out to be, um, you know, one of the big uh, differences in this ball game. I'm, I want to see it again because that was such a fun game to watch. And there were so many plays being made on both sides of the ball that you were like, wow, I need to go back and watch that again. So um, I will, I will take this also recent history um, indicates that the team that loses the regular season game uh, since the big 12 went in 2017, went to the one, two format for its big 12 championship game. Four of the six um, were, were, those games were won by the team that lost the regular season game and came back and won the Big 12 title game, including, you know, Kansas State over TCU last year, including Oklahoma over Texas in 2018. Um, so, you know, recent history indicates it's tough to to do it. Now, the only team to to win and sweep has been OU. Um, they did that uh, in 17 and 19. So it's. Um, now you got Brent Venables. That was Lincoln Riley. So we'll see how this uh, how this measures up. But I'll I'll give the edge slightly to Texas. And like I said, West Virginia has already beaten TCU on the road and Texas Tech. I don't know about you, Eric. I'm looking at the rest of the Big Twelve. Um, West Virginia is playing some you know pretty good line of scrimmage football. I'm not saying they're they're this year's TCU. I'm not putting Garrett Green in Max Duggan territory yet, but that's a determined football team, and someone's got to beat them. OU's going to play them. Texas doesn't play them. West Virginia doesn't play K-State either. So uh, this this could be an interesting <laughs> race down here uh, in the Big 12. Well, um, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Flagship Podcast. For Eric Henry, 
I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Everybody stay safe and keep the faith.